So I'm Bruce Molitoris from Indiana University, here with John Klein from the University of Louisville, Lisa Gay Woodford at Children's National and the George Washington University, and Matthias Kretzler at the University of Michigan. We're assembled to try and give you some insights into the program that's already been going on for a couple of days, and I'm really delighted to have such talent to help me help you. So, first question I'd like to throw out, uh, two of you are involved with pre-programs. Uh, could you describe any outstanding observations you had about those programs? So, John, you want to start? Sure. So, so I was uh, co-chair of the uh, pre-program that focused on kidney disease biomarkers, which was actually a joint meeting uh, sponsored by the American Association of Clinical Chemistry and then the ASN and was funded, uh, it's the annual Beckman Symposium endowed by Arnold Beckman. And uh, it was, uh, it was a, I, I think, a, a very successful meeting and um, the feedback has been tremendous. We had representatives from every aspect of, of biomarker development from the discovery phase to the FDA itself and the approval process. So I think people had a, a chance to sort of see the long road from when you first have that light bulb go off over your head to the point where somebody says, well, I think we're going to put this in the clinic. And Lisa, you were involved with the longest title in the world, but basically <laughs> going from the bench to the clinical to Wall Street. Uh, tell us about the conference. So this was a it was, it was a cool conference to put together. I think lots of us have organized conferences in the nephrology domain, and you use your network and you get the people who are pretty much recognized as the experts. This was a conference that focused on innovation, um, and as you talked about this morning, Bruce, innovation is not something that is first nature to us as nephrologists. And so to do this conference, we pulled together thought leaders from academia thought leaders in terms of uh, emerging next phase technologies, thought leaders from informatics, um, people who were very involved in, um, in sort of funding structures, everything from venture capitalism, uh, and, and that, that domain was represented by Steve Readers, who obviously is well known to the nephrology community, to crowdfunding. Um, and, and our two days were punctuated in the first day by a series of breakout section, sessions that picked up on the themes from the first day, and then a case from the Harvard Business School actually talking about tissue engineering, um, which is appropriate since Tony Atala talked today about his work in tissue engineering. And I think that what for me emerged is that um, this was a brave new world for most of the people attending. Um, they came with a set of expectations, but they were very much expectations that were locked into the traditional. And this really opened their minds. So the whole idea about innovation in academia, how you approach that, the idea about new technologies and methodologies, how that will be paradigm shifting, the idea about the importance of informatics, and that came through over and over and over again, to the point that, that actually one of the speakers challenged the audience to say, if you guys really want to be players in this space, then some of you need to train in informatics so that you can speak in both worlds. Um, and then the whole discussion about the financial considerations was incredibly exciting. So I think that um, it was something that was very much a field than what is typically done at the ASN. And, and then the, it was capped by the Harvard Business School case, which is obviously taught as the Harvard Business School case method and really um, expected audience participation. 
I think the feedback that we got is that people were surprised, they were pleased, they were pleased in a way that they didn't expect to be pleased, and they really hoped that we would do this again. Um, so my message from that group to you as the leadership of the ASN is they'd like to see this happen on a yearly basis over the next couple of years. It was amazing. I took <coughs> talked to Joe Bonaventure, the other co-leader of the program, and numerous people that attended, and they all had the same feeling. It was, yes, it was great, but we need it again, and more people need to come. So thank you very much for putting that on. I know it was, uh, as you said, outside your comfort zone, outside your field, but the speakers were tremendous. Matthias, I, I want to move to you because you're working in an incredibly important area, and that's molecular diagnostics at the tissue level. And there's a CNC, Clinical Nephrology Conference, tomorrow about where we are. But I'd like to hear where you think we should be going. Yeah, I think, you know, this actually dovetails nice with the two uh, events we just had featured because this is closely interlinking where we are happening in nephrology. And, you know, your presentation this morning really was a wake-up call for anyone who hasn't heard or seen it, that we really have to move nephrology into this highly innovative space which makes people excited and who actually really impacts the uh, patients we are seeing on a day-to-day -day basis. And, uh, we are incredibly close to that. The opportunities are truly at a level that we would not have imagined them to be there five or ten years ago. We have all the tools at our disposal on, you know, genetic level, functional level, clinical level, histological levels to understand the diseases we are seeing at a depth which is unprecedented. And with the informatics tools available, we can start to link that information together uh, to get the right drugs into the right patients. And as nephrologists, we can distinguish ourselves from our colleagues in other internal medicine fields because we do have access to the tissue. And we can capture the disease process in flagranti and can inform our biomarkers in the urine, in the blood, directly linking on what's happening inside the kidneys and thereby hopefully are breaking the old paradigm that uh, we are treating so many patients with drugs where we don't know how they work and we don't know what mechanistics we are trying to impact with it. Yeah, I, I think that's great. How long do you think it's going to be before we expect our nephropathologists to do this routinely on a biopsy sample? I think you know, that's a very good question. I even don't know if we will need to go in all of the depths of the molecular profiling. What we are starting to see in several pockets of research that you can actually loop back, that you can anchor molecular mechanisms in things we already know, we already see, but we have not associated them with these specific events. So that, yes, it might be needed to dig deep. It might be, however, think a reasonable expectation to say that we can link non-invasive biomarkers with these renal events and thereby have a way and means to dynamically assess the disease as it uh, develops as we are going in with uh, specific therapies and how our patients respond to that. I'm already thinking about a session next year linking molecular diagnostics to biomarkers. Would be a really good session. Uh, what's the future? Yeah, and we think uh, over the last uh, you know, five to ten years, tremendous efforts have gone in building cohorts up where we are capturing the long-term 
development of our diseases. And that has made research so difficult compared to other uh, fields where you have very quick endpoints accumulating. We have chronic diseases. We have to have these uh, cohorts in place, which we, I think, do now in multiple different scenarios. And with tools uh, John's meeting beautifully has described, we can now go into these cohorts and start to get some answers out of those. So, so when you ask when will this be in the clinic, I guess one of the answers is that uh, one of the speakers at the, at the Beckman Symposium, Phil Halloran, has already begun to, to, to employ a molecular pathology method in the diagnosis of transplant rejection and particularly long-term graft loss, which, which is now really the big challenge, right. acute graft loss not being so, so, so as big a challenge as it once was. And he actually is using this to guide therapy and taking biopsy cores and doing RNA analysis, transcript analysis, and comparing it to patterns that he's observed and having built a database. And it's guiding individual therapy in his program and, and for centers in Canada. So it's beginning to edge its way into the clinic and transplantation already. Uh, long way to go before it's applied across all renal diseases. And I think, I think your idea of linking molecular pathology with the biomarker world is, is, is a really good one. But, you know, we have seen in membranous nephropathy in work uh, John was instrumental in that this already is at a stage now that we have now a glomerular disease where we have a molecular pathophysiology actually pretty close in our hands and we have a mica which uh, has all the ingredients to be uh, dynamic measurements of the disease activity. And that came out from a deep understanding with David Salant, one of our RVDs this year. Uh, after 25 years of studying their disease and understanding the biology behind that, and then linking the right technologies and the right people in a multidisciplinary research team, and that has transformed the disease, which really was a conundrum to all of us for a very long time. No, I think that there's a thing that's very important that links the three different perspectives here. And that is the idea of how does this depth of understanding help inform clinical trials. And so we had two discussions in the innovation um, uh, conference, uh, innovation-based conference, um, that talked about how you can stratify clinical trials using biomarkers, using molecular um, pathology and, and shorten the amount of time that you need to do the trials, sh sh shrink the number of people that uh, are needed. And those have implications in cost, which obviously ultimately, this economist laid out beautifully, how costs are arrived at. They're really not pulled out of the air. They are very <laughs> carefully considered business models with profit in mind but the cost of what we do. And so there was a bit of a debate about this, but one of the, the um, compelling things that came out of the discussion is if we use these newer markers to understand our cohort of patients, and if you will, make them as homogeneous as possible, we can more precisely get a signal to noise that is actionable. And this is not pie in the sky. We will present data tomorrow that in uh, nephrotic syndrome, FSGS, minimal change, one can use these intrarenal signals to actually identify distinct subgroups who do not respond, who stay not in, who don't go into remission. 
and have a TNF signature. And TNF adalumumab was used in the FON trial and a quarter of the patients responded, which obviously right. is not sufficient to reach your endpoints. But if you a priori can select the right patients and enter them in your trial, okay. I think then we can make a big step forwards to targeted therapies. I think when you look at, at the pre-meetings as well as Tony Atala's talk this morning, one of the things that comes through to me loud and clear is, is that nephrology has to embrace big science and big data. And, and, and we really need to move aggressively into the idea that when you look up at Tony Atala's slide and there are 300 collaborators just within his own institution or 300 people within his own institute and then he has beyond that hundreds of collaborators around the world. This is someone who's not afraid, afraid to, to be part of a team. And, and in fact, he embraces it with a lot of enthusiasm. The same thing is beginning to happen in nephrology, and mm -hmm. I view it as a, a wholly positive thing that we're beginning to see consortia that, that are focused on getting at the root cause of renal diseases and, by golly, curing them. And ultimately, that's what we have to hold out to people. Well, I think that's hugely important, and I, and I really like the construct, big science and big data, asking big questions. Um, you know, I think we have the capacity now to really take on big questions, and you beautifully laid out this morning, there are many big questions to be addressed. And so we need to think in a transdisciplinary way where, where it is really an active team. But I think there's a very important message that we need to deliver to our trainees, because they, they hear from the traditional perspective, you're going to get lost in the at all. This is is not good for your career. And so they're torn a little bit in the tension between wanting to be part of big studies that are going to lead to big impactful answers and being part of the at all. And I think the advice that we need to give them, and, and you touched on this this morning, Bruce, is the idea that you need to train so you have your expertise, you have your niche, but then you bring it in a powerful way to the table. And so for those of us who are sports fans, if you are a shortstop, you should be the best shortstop in the business. You can't play this game by yourself. But if you play it in the context of a great team with all the other positions being strong, you win games. Um, and I think that that's what Laurie was challenging us to do. You know, what you do is incredibly important. How you take care of patients has a tremendous impact on their daily lives as they struggle with this. The reason that she's organized patients is so that they can get together to buoy one another in a hopeful way, waiting for the big breakthrough. So it's time for the team to assemble. And I think one important aspect is for the young uh, uh, fellows, junior faculties engaging with the field to understand their talent is a rate-limiting step. We have a lot of opportunities. We have tremendous effort uh, being available from these large-scale uh, studies already. Large data sets out there, cohorts to be analyzed. This is all available now for the right mind to combine and uh, to really make a difference. And this has been you know, an effort which many of us contributed over the last 10, 15 years that we are at that stage now. And uh, we are uh, really very close in having this uh, field uh, making the next steps to impact. And, and I have to compliment all three of you because I know you collaborate across the country and you also collaborate internationally. And from the registries that are available in Europe, I know you're interacting with the European scientists 
to answer specific questions. And, and that's what it's really about. This is a global disease. We can't be isolated. We have to move out. We have to interact with everyone across the world to try and answer. Now, I, I want to bring up one other point. You talked about Lori Hartwell this morning and the phenomenal presentation she gave in a short period of time that really wowed the audience. Uh, we had a summit yesterday of all of the U.S. professional and patient advocates in nephrology societies. Twenty-three different societies. Everyone asked, came, everyone brought two or three people. And one of the questions that came up, and I think we answered, was, is there a hope for a cure? And from the patient's perspective, they said, there has to be a hope for a cure, because we have to have hope. And from a philanthropy and an investment in research basis, I think there has to be hope for a cure. And I made the point yesterday that 40 or 50 years ago, the people starting to study cancer said they were going to cure it. And they're getting very close, and they have in, in many different areas. And we have to have the same capabilities and the same vision to cure. And I think if you're a medical student looking to what you want to do for the rest of your life, you want to be able to help people. Right. That's why you go into it. And if we can offer them the technology and the therapeutics and diagnostics to actually make a difference in someone's life, we will see the number and interest in nephrology go up. Well, I must say, from the perspective of someone who focuses on single gene disorders, where cure has been bandied about for years, um, I have a slightly different take on it. Um, so we're either in a disease state or we're cured. It's a very binary kind of construct. I really would, would rather we all embrace with our patients and with ourselves the idea of a continuum because it is a long journey to a cure. But there are really important and impactful steps along the way. And so one of the things we say in PKD is, is we want to get in the near term, in the next five years, to a place where no one feels the full consequences of PKD. And when you sit from a dispassionate scientific perspective, you say, well, that's OK, but it's not great. When you sit beside someone who has suffered the ravages of PKD, you realize what a tremendous advance that would be. And so I think that one of the things that we have to do is while we have to be hopeful, and again as a pediatric nephrologist whose patients are going to live a lifetime with their disease, hope is incredibly important. But so is trust and so is honesty, and it's a bi-directional trust and honesty. We have to be able to say this is where we are and what we are hoping to accomplish in this short period of time and we need your help. And they have to be able to say very directly to us, that's not good enough. Um, because that's the way that we, we seize upon what are the critical questions that we should focus on. And it's the idea of having patient involvement in research. Um, it's something we've not done tremendously well in nephrology. There are these programs like the PCORI effort nationally, and in cancer there certainly are patient groups that for a long time have been actively involved. Um, but these are patients whose quality of life is dominated by decades of having this disease. Laurie laid that out beautifully. And I think that the reason she founded that group is not only for peer-to-peer -peer support, peer-to-peer -peer mentoring, but it was also to organize people to be able to say, what were the issues that were most vexing for them to try to deal with? So as nephrologists, we have to sort of 
open our minds to the collaborative possibilities. And among those collaborative possibilities, it's our patients and what do they want. In a, in a really granular way, everybody wants a cure, but what does that mean? And sometimes for someone with diabetes who has nephropathy and neuropathy, it's simply being, being able to take the two buses they need to be able to go to work so they can hold down their job. Matthias, I want to go back to you on one uh, issue, and that is your interactions with mm -hmm. the Europeans. Um, would you care to comment further? Yeah, you know, I think this is, as you mentioned earlier, kidney is, disease is a global disease. And what from the beginning for me attending this meeting from both sides of the Atlantic was uh, very revealing is the international presence. And that we, Kidney Week is a place where we combine groups uh, focusing on the same challenge from all over the world and uh, we have seen in so many different areas of our research and clinical activities that they are now crossing uh, all of the continents on this globe and we are combining cohorts, data sets, we are starting uh, to really impact diseases in multiple different ethnic uh, and environmental uh, situations great opportunity to learn about genetics, about uh, differences in cultural impacts on the disease, and really combining resources so that we have an opportunity to make that difference our patients need from us from all over the world. I would just add to that about 47 or 48 percent of the attendees at this Kidney Week are international attendees. I think one of the other things that we talk about um, collaborative work um, and, and, and we talked about um, the idea of reaching out to other disciplines. But one of the things that I think Kidney Week has for a number of years offered is the opportunity for all of us to, as, as Matthias was talking about, to interact with one another with our different takes on particular aspects of the disease, our, the different takes we have on our populations, um, the different takes that we have in terms of the way questions were posed for clinical trials. Um, and, you know, and, and, and I think that this is a wonderful forum where people can come together and learn from one another in terms of the way studies were designed. And it leads to relationships and the kind of trust that you need to then move from this platform into a truly international collaborative platform with the kinds of numbers of people that you need to do the well-powered studies that we need. That'd be my first point. The second point is it is incredibly powerful when you're with a junior faculty person or a trainee and you walk down the hall and you greet someone from Australia, from Japan, from France, from Germany, um, from Russia, um, uh, from South Africa, uh, and, and you have an interaction and these people are so distant from them. And it sets up opportunities that are global training opportunities and a whole variety of things that accrue from the fact that we come together as one society to meet and to discuss what we're passionate about. So I think if we could bridge where we are traditionally to where we want to go in a true transdisciplinary way, one thing to point out to people who might be a little hesitant, we already do this. We already talk with people who are nephrologist and kidney related people from all over the world. That's a start in a network that needs to be expanded. So, so one of the things that I'm going to take away just even after the first full day of, of, of the ASN and after the pre-meetings is, is that, that as a scientist, as a as clinician scientist, you know, we don't have the luxury of being optimists all the time. 
but I'm actually going to take away from the last three days a sense of optimism mm. about where research and where therapies in kidney disease are going. We, it's, it's very easy, particularly when you're younger, but also when you're older, to, to, to begin to, to feel, well, the progress isn't coming. And, and we, we, we want to hold out the prospect of cures. But, but some amazing things are beginning to happen in nephrology, in part because of the things we talked about, international cooperation, large trials together, putting together multidisciplinary teams. I think of the example Matthias mentioned before of David Salant and, and beginning to unravel what, what used to be called idiopathic membranous nephropathy there's a very real chance that we're going to have a diagnostic for that in the next three to five years. That doesn't sound like a big deal, but, but what that means is that anybody who fits at least the clinical pattern of, of membranous nephropathy is going to get that test first. And if they're that 20% of the population has a positive reading on the test, we've just saved them a kidney biopsy. Mm -hmm. And then we have a companion diagnostic that can begin, hopefully, to follow the effect of new and, and novel treatments. So those sort of things didn't come just because new technologies came along. They came really because somebody like David Salon stuck with it for 25 years. And then he assembled a very large multidisciplinary team from, from a variety of perspectives. And I think that's beginning to happen, and certainly Matthias is leading that sort of effort. Uh, certainly Lisa is, and, and I think that, that those things are beginning to happen in our discipline, and, and there's a real sense that I have of optimism about this. And we can see that reflected also, you know, it's a level of engagements we see from our industry partners, mm -hmm. that uh, kidney disease is a very attractive uh, model to invest right now, and that is a very objective level of endorsement that there is tremendous potential ahead of us and that ASN with a key initiative really is bundling these efforts together to also impact the way forward to get uh, uh, new trials uh, initiated and completed faster I think will be a critical asset in that process. But I think that one of the other things is that the ASN sort of provides a duality between um, incredible advances and we see them crystallized in Kidney Week and we leave with this sense of, wow, we're really moving forward. But I think it's equally important for the society to put up cautionary notes. And I think you did that very, very well this morning, Bruce, because I think that the way forward in terms of talking about innovation and partnership, let's just take those two of your four um, pillars for the way forward. I think that one of the things that innovation, the Innovation Conference really spoke to was the fact that in nephrology, while we might be attractive, we really don't know how to engage our VC industry partners in moving things forward. This is a brave new world for us. And so the only way to fix a problem is to understand that it's there and to say it is important to me to try to address that. And I think what the ASN has been doing, starting with Ron Fox's effort last year, continuing this year, is to say there is a whole space that is our space to claim, but we need to be aware of it, we need to frame the issues, we need to get the skills so that we can get the partners and move forward. So I'm going to stop all three of you there. This has been a wonderful uh, podcast interview. I will ask you, though, to think back to your first 
ASN. I don't know what, I don't want to hear what year it was. Oh, I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> Think back to your first ASN and tell me how it's different now than it was then to you. It, it's, it's very, so, so my first ASN, I'm happy to say, was uh, my first year of fellowship in 1982. And I've attended, I believe, every single ASN since then. And uh, in 1982, it was in a single hotel in Washington, D.C., off of Connecticut Avenue. And yet, even that small a meeting, I got there, and I was just frankly intimidated because everyone seemed to know each other, except I didn't know any of them. And I think that that hasn't changed a bit, that, that when you come here as a junior faculty or as a fellow, there's the sense that all these people know each other, and how will I ever find my way through, you know, through this, this very, very complicated, long meeting? And, and fortunately, we have some tools now that make that a, a great deal easier. And we've got, we've got a website for the abstracts and for the program that, that, that's very functional. We've got apps. Uh, and then I think that there, there's also sort of a human touch now. And in our division, we, we, we talk a little bit before we come about, you know, what are the posters that we think that an individual faculty member who's in the junior developmental stage, what, what are the, the sort of signal events that they should be attending? So it can still be very intimidating, I think, and because it's so large now. But um, it, it also has, has turned into just this fabulous scientific meeting, which I think it was probably pretty good in 1982, but, but now it, it's just off the charts. Lisa? So my first ASN was um, six or eight weeks after our son was born, so I know exactly when it was. It was 1987. Um, we drove down from Boston to Washington to the same hotel complex. I think at this point it had two hotels. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and, and we didn't do a whole lot of preparative work. And, um, and the only thing that you had was the book. And it was incredibly daunting to try to figure out how to navigate your way through. And I remember exactly the same feeling, John, of I don't know how to navigate this meeting. And everybody here seems to be somehow in a lineage sort of way related to these key principal players who clearly are the leaders in the field. And I don't have any connection to these pedigrees. Um, I think so fast forward. Um, I think the ASN has done a couple of things. When I chaired the program committee in 2006, we made an active effort to pair all of the um, uh, chairs of the symposia with the, the, um, the invited science to the meritorious oral platforms, senior person with a junior person. It's remarkable how just that gesture has allowed people to expand their networks. I think that there's been a great deal of discussion at the local level. This is a meeting to build your network. There are some divisions that do better than others, where senior people actually will take trainees and, and move them around a theme in the program, or at least point them out and introduce them to people in their theme. So I think the structure has been set up to be very friendly. And I think the nephrology community has embraced the idea that this is just not sort of a stage show for the luminaries and the rest of us are all supposed to sort of watch in awe, although we all still do, um, but it is really a full engagement sport. Um, and I have seen so many acts of kindness where people come to the podium, present something in an oral presentation, are shaking in their boots as, 
maybe not them, but I certainly did the first time that I that I presented. Um, and then they'll you know ask a question, but it won't be the I gotcha question anymore. It'll be the I was thinking. Have you thought of this or? You know, a leading me, question. Where would you go with this? And it is incredibly, it's an empowering culture change that has happened spontaneously. No one told us how to play this game. Matthias? Yeah, it was also my first visit to the United States. So, and a feeling actually of being welcomed uh, was certainly uh, facilitated by my mentor, Wilhelm Gritz, literally taking me by the hand. And then also in front of the posters, this you know, exchange of genuine ideas and the feeling that, yes, this is an international community where people are connecting with you and you might actually at some stage being able to contribute uh, to this big body of knowledge with the goal to making that difference. And I think what is very helpful right now are the paths which are designed and you will find uh, in the starting pages of your program uh, if you want to orientate yourself uh, at a specific day into a specific area that, that will guide you through the program at least as a starting point and there hopefully will be many friendly faces giving you different directions if needed. Thank you. I'm going to make one comment because to me the biggest difference was now we're very interested in translation and clinical application of the basic science knowledge that was generated when I started coming to the ASN many, many years ago. There is definitely a emphasis on translation and clinical aspects, clinical trials, everything, because we have to move into that arena if we're going to benefit our patients. I think if I, if I could just add to that, Bruce, I, as I think back, there was a hierarchy of excellence. And if you were a laboratory-based science when I first stuck, that was the coin of the realm. And, and then it sort of moved all the way through the other areas of scholarship in nephrology. Um, and I think now you're absolutely right, and actually the symposia very often integrate that movement from discovery to clinical application or to population. Uh, implications and impact. So I think that that's an important sort of thing and it is hugely important for our trainees to see that play out because then the idea of the translational spectrum becomes ingrained as this is the way we impact our patients. With that I'd like to thank our participants here, Lisa Gay Woodford from Children's National, George Washington University, John Klein from the University of Louisville, and Matthias Kretzler from the University of Michigan. Thank you all again.